0: If you could stand for the reading of God's word, we will get ourselves ready. I got to make sure I got the whole thing here. I feel like I've lost a page. Up oh, there it is. All right. But I ought to know. This is the same thing we read last week. This is. This will be part two of a interesting passage. A uh, uh, messages out of. Um, Galatians 3, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit of the works, the spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. And those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the Word of God. So You may be seated. I'm going to pray, and then you can be seated. I'm going to pray for you, all right, Kyle? God... We love your word. We're so intrigued by every time we read it, there's something new and marvelous there. So let us never tire of hearing it. And bless Kyle as he preaches, which has been brewing in him for some time now. Be be full of your grace and mercy and and your truth. Just bless him and bless us as we hear. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, it's so good to be here this morning with you all. Um, I commented last week on this passage. It's, it's interesting how, <clears throat> how bold Paul is. Um, you fools, he calls the church. Um, you, you're bewitched. Um, imagine if, if your pastor on a Sunday morning got up and said, how foolish you all are um, and how bewitched you have become. Um, we can't even, um, we don't even let our pastors get away with being late Um, for a hospital visit, um, let alone talk to us like that, (laughs) right? Um, Don't fret, Um, I'm just reading the scripture, and let it speak to you what it will. (laughs) Um, I'm so excited to be here this morning. Before we dig into um, this text, there is one thing I wanted to let you all know about. This is an exciting conference that um, we hope to go to if there's enough, enough interest in it. Um, Perhaps you could zoom in, Mike, to that image. I don't know if that's possible so they can see it a little better. Um, If not, I can just read it to you. Um, But um, on on June 19th, there's going to be a a conference actually at my my brother-in-law's church. Um, It's called Tremont Temple Church in Boston. Um, And um, it's called Hope in the Age of Addiction. Twenty-five percent of people in our country have an addiction. And um, it is true that, um, that they have these statistics and uh, understanding of, of how many people that affects. Normally, it affects at least four people directly in a, in, a, in, a, um, in, a, in a severe sense. Not just I know about this person who has an addiction and he asked me for $20. It's, it's not, it's, it's, it's more than that. This, this person is very immersed, ensconced in other people's lives. At least four, and if you think about that, um, 25% add four to the equation, we have an epidemic problem in our country, and we always, and we have for a while. Um, addiction isn't, by the way, just um, addictions to some kind of substance. We have all sorts of different kinds of addictions, um, to to television, to pornography, to all sorts of things. So, um, how do we how do we cope with this if it's something that's in our lives that we have an addiction, or maybe we have a friend or family member that has an addiction? Um, we're going to be going, um, hopefully, going as a group up to. Boston, we can carpool from here if you'd like to join us. Um, we have, we have a, um, a sign in the back. If you're interested, just put your name on it. You can see it near the clock in the back. And hanging on the lamp right near the clock is some markers. So if you're interested, um, <clears throat> that will, maybe, maybe if that's a little embarrassing, I, w- I, didn't, I, I didn't think this through. That might be tough for you to do if you have an addiction. Um, maybe just tell me or something, or that's fine. Or how about this, we just won't assume that the name's up there of uh, the, the names of people up there. I have, actually have an addiction. But if you're just interested and you want to come um, and you have a family member, a friend, or maybe this topic is just something that, that um, is important to you, coworkers, whatever, um, we would love to go with you. It's free. And um, um, a little description about this, can you hear me? Is that okay? We hope you can join us for this impactful event, whether you are in recovery, are making steps towards recovery, um, or know someone who who is, or you just want to learn more about what addiction really is and how it works and why it's so damaging to hearts, souls, and minds and relationships. It's a day that you don't want to miss, okay? So, again, if you're interested, you just jot your name um, down on the board up there. You let me know. It's, it's um, June 19th, Saturday. It begins at 9 a.m., and it's in Boston, so that means we'll have to leave around 7.30. Um, so um, it's, it's a 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., and, if, again, if you're inter- interested, just um, write it down in the back and let me know. Okay, that's that, and now we're going to get into our text in Galatians chapter 3. Last, last week we left off in verse 5. Um, we read it again, but we, we're, we're sort of kind of systematically going through these 14 verses and two sermons, and we're calling it Bewitched, right? Um, and we left off in verse 5, and verse 5 read, So again I ask, does God give his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by you believing what you have heard. In other words, this is sort of what it's saying. Um, Does God heal you? Does God reveal himself to you? Does God give you his life and love and relationship? That's what it means by does God give you his spirit, his presence. Does God do this for you? And does he work miracles around you, the people in your life, in your neighborhoods and communities, does he do this by works of the law or by believing what you have heard. In other words, does God do this in your life because he's just super impressed by you? And man, you sure made a lot of money in life. You know, so I'm going to give you my spirit. Or maybe it's not material. Uh, maybe it's not prosperity or talents. Maybe you just feel like you're super good. You're moral. You go to church. You, you pray prayers. You go to confession. You do all these things, right? So maybe, maybe that's how I earn my spirit, by impressing God with my morality. So Paul says, I ask you, does God give you a spirit by works, or does he do it by faith in Jesus Christ, in another one's work? Not our work, but his. You see, we're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. And that has been the theme of of Galatians. That is is the theme um, that is going to continue to be the theme as we continue on through this book. It's such an important verse for us, I think, especially now, because it makes this huge claim. That God has given us his spirit. Don't miss that. Because we sort of just trip over it. It's sort of assumed, has God given you his spirit by works or by faith? So we need to sort of pause there for a moment and just consider the fact that God is such a God that he gives us his presence. That that's even an option for us. is a miracle of his grace and love. And it's an indication of why he created us to begin with, right? To know him and to love him. What an important that God has given us a spirit and that he performs miracles around us. In other words, that his kingdom, his spirit, his presence can come not just on us, but on the people that we touch, the people that we live with and move with and work with. That he's given us that, that he can work miracles among us. The Bible over and over again says you walk by faith and not by, by sight and trust that the Spirit is doing this. God is doing this. Why are we here? Oh, friend, why are you here this morning? Why did we start? This is a new church. Why did we start it just some six years ago? And after the year I think that we just had, it's a vital now more than ever to ask ourselves this question. Because we took a hit last year, didn't we? You, you took a hit, no doubt, last year, personally, in your lives. And we could be negative about it, we could be pessimistic about it, we could walk by sight, right? Because in our personal lives, there were less parties and less hugs and less work, and people maybe died. We have less money in our bank account, or maybe more, because the government gave you some, right? <laughs> We look around, in, even in our church, and it's about half of what it was before COVID. Maybe even less than that. And we can say, oh, you know, woe is me. Let's be pessimistic. Let's walk by sight rather than by faith. Let's be negative rather than believe that God's Spirit is present and moving and doing something in our lives. Amen? Let's see it as an opportunity for empty chairs to be filled by people we've never met before. Because, again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles by works? By whether there or not there's pandemics or how smart we are or clever we are in dealing with those, right? Like, does, Is that how God's spirit moves or does it move when we believe him? when we trust him and have faith in him, that his will is his present spirit in our lives and in the lives of people around us. Oh friends, it's so easy to just fall into this like sour puss, negative sort of woe is me. It's easy to fall into that or it's just easy to just not care anymore, just become sort of like, hey, I like this new normal where I don't have to really do anything anymore. Right? I can just kind of sit, sit around and everyone's okay with it because, because the, you know, the president told me to. Right? So we could be negative or we could be lethargic in our personal lives because of all this. And now the state is loosening up. We're, we're free to enjoy some of the things and uh, in ways in which we served our community before. But you know, maybe we're just a little bit tired, discouraged, morale is low. Do we really got to do a movie this summer? Right, we've done that. And look at what just happened this past year. You know, sometimes I feel like that. I'm the pastor. I'm leading this thing, right? That's why now more than ever we need to claim this verse, verse 5, because by faith God brings his spirit and by faith he works miracles. Let's not forget the good God that we serve, that he's bigger than all of the stuff around us. All of our problems walk by faith, not by sight. Now more than ever, it's not the time to give up, it's not the time to slow down, we are not dead yet. And Jesus is alive, and while he's alive, his kingdom comes and his will be done. We do not have an option as Christians to slow down or get lazy or give up. Now is the time to pray, to believe, to trust that, that Jesus is alive and still working miracles. And we need some God-sized ones. I don't got any brilliant plan to fix this. And, and you know what the, 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 what the hope for me is? You know, some people in life, this is just a little clue on people. When things get tough, you know the kind of people when things get tough, they get all type A and they work 90 hours a week. And they, they come up with plans and they, they, they get pushy with everyone around them. You, you, have you known people like this? Maybe you're a person like that. I'm not like that. You know what I get like? I'm like, oh, I'm, like, I'm more like Saul. And I'm just being honest with you, and I probably shouldn't admit this from you publicly. Oh, like problems? Oh, okay. There's problems. Let's hide. Let's slow down, like, right? Like, that's, that, get, that can be my point. I'm not type A. I'm not that person. And sometimes in this sort of biz, in the church biz, you think, like, I'm not gonna, we're not going to make it unless the leader's that type A, 90-hour-a-week, burn, burn everyone out. Yeah, but, and I, was, I felt like that for a while. I'm like, am I, am I the right guy for this? But then I read this verse, and I remembered something. That we don't fix our problems by works, but by faith in our God. We don't need to be type A's for God's kingdom to come. We need to be type B's, that is believers. We need to believe him. We need to trust him. And that's what we need to do. We can't be bewitched into thinking that somehow we're going to fix the world because we're awesome right? We need to get on our knees and trust Jesus and then work, right? It might not be the sharpest, slickest work in the world. I've seen churches out there, they're really sharp and slick and God bless them for it. God has gifted everyone differently, but we, not, we might not be the sharpest and slickest, but it doesn't matter because our God is, right? We need to believe the God who can move mountains and promise that he would for us, amen? Amen. So we can't be bewitched. We need to be like Abraham. We need to be like him. That's what our scripture says. It says all of this about trust. The spirit has come not by works but through faith. And let me prove it to you. Let me remind you of Abraham. And this was actually kind of clever of Paul because you remember who he's writing to. He's writing to a church that is becoming bewitched by this group of Jewish Christians that are saying that you have to do all these works to please God get circumcised, follow these feasts, all these different, eat this food and not that food, right? And he's answering the, the, this new Gentile or non-Jewish church from this Jewish influence that's telling them they've got to add all this Jewish law when they don't. And he's answering them by citing Abraham. Isn't that smart? Because now he's speaking to the Gentile church and to the Jewish church. He's, he's saying this isn't just my invention, he's saying this was also the way Abraham lived his life. So let's talk about it. Our text provides proof perfect that God shows up in us and through us and around us when we have faith in him and not ourselves. Because in verse 6, so also Abraham believed God, it says. Cites Abraham. You might be new to the Bible, you might be saying, who the heck is Abraham? Let me, we'll get to that in a moment. Abraham is given to us as an example, as a man who was not bewitched. A man that did not think that he could somehow get his 90-year-old wife to be pregnant. That was the promise that God made to Abraham, that Abraham believed, right? He didn't somehow think, well, okay, you know, we got to get busy, honey. (laughs) You know, a few times a week. You know, we got to work that God told us to do this. He didn't think that, that's impossible. He knew it was impossible. And what God asks us to do is impossible. God asks us to proclaim Christ to lost people that don't know Jesus when he tells us that their hearts are hard and their eyes are blind. There is no way we can talk anyone into eternal life. It's not gonna happen unless the spirit does it, unless we believe, unless we faith and not work, you see? It it doesn't mean we don't preach. That's not what I mean by not work. I mean not rely in our works. You see? So Abraham believed God, and he wasn't bewitched. He is a man of faith, and he is case study number one. The Bible tells us that if we want God's presence and we want his kingdom, we need to believe like Abraham. Now let's consider Abraham for a second. Paul quotes in this passage, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It says in Genesis 15, almost word for word in Galatians, Abram, Abram, believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Credited it to him as righteousness. Now that word there, credited, it's a Greek word, it's elogistan, and it means to be declared or accounted as righteous. Now that word, the reason I'm bringing this up to you, my, I had a Greek professor that he said he said to me that Greek is like underwear. People want to know that you're wearing it, but they don't want to see it, right? So in other words, don't talk about Greek too much when you're preaching. Like, they're, they're just happy that you took it in school, so leave it at, like, right? So, but I'm breaking that rule because this is important. It's an accounting, it's, this word is an accounting term. It means that money is being received and accounted for as a payment, okay? Um, it's sort of like a rent-to-own agreement. Have You ever heard of these things, rent-to-own? Um, where rent payments can be used later to purchase the house, right? The moment the decision is made to purchase, the money that was used for rent is accounted as a mortgage payment. It's credited to you, you see? It's the same word. That Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness means that God was treating Abraham as if he had lived a right life, even though he had lived a wrong life. You see, what was getting credited into his account was the righteousness of Christ. The text doesn't say that faith equals righteousness. Did you notice that? It's as if to say that faith is a kind of righteousness, but rather it was counted as if it were, right? In other words, the righteousness that Abraham is being credited with is not his own. It's someone else's. This is a declared legal status in the courtroom of heaven who who God our ultimate judge pronounces as paid. He was treating Abraham as if he were actually righteous and therefore he was free from condemnation. That's why in Romans 8 it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He was justified by this accounting. Martin Luther, the great reformer, um, had this Latin phrase that's become popular, simul justice et peccator. And it means simultaneously righteous and sinful. At the same t- in other words, Abraham, at the same time, somehow, was declared righteous while he remained yet sinful. And friends, that's our condition when we come to Jesus. We are still yet sinful. We are not righteous. We're separated from God because of it, yet we are declared, accounted as righteous through faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 5, says the same thing. However... To the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their, fo- their faith is credited as righteousness. Dr. Um, Tim Keller says this, quote, When a person receives credited righteousness, that is, he is justified or made right with God, he or she is still wicked. Abraham wasn't right with God because he learned how to be better. How to be more moral, how to be more holy. Rather he was pronounced right with God while he remained sinful. Friends, this is wonderful. Imagine you owe a debt, This is maybe getting a little, you know, religious jargon gobbledygook. It's get maybe going over some people's heads. Um, Let me explain to you very simply. Imagine you owed a debt, right? negative you know you you owe that your for your house negative 250,000 30 years from now it's paid off right tick tick and slowly month by month you see you see some money getting shaved off and then one day you wake up it says paid in full and you find out that some mystery man has paid your debt for their money was credited to your account wouldn't that be wonderful wouldn't be like if you own a home you'd be pretty excited right that, that's awesome, right? It's the same thing. We owe God a debt. We've sinned against him. We're separated from him. But Jesus pays it. It goes into our account from his. That's a great direct deposit, isn't it? <clears throat> so we must imitate Abraham. That's a little bit of his story. Now we need to be like him. Verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So in other words, when we have faith that Christ died for our sin in our place, we become children of Abraham. That's how we imitate Abraham. That's how we, be, that, that's how we are his children, by faith. Now what is meant here by children of Abraham? You might not have even realized that this was even important. Who cares if I'm a child of Abraham or not? Now this is kind of like Bible code. It means, it means something important that is, is a, little bit less, a little bit more simple than just children of Abraham. But to answer this, before we get into this, we need to go back to the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. The Bible tells us very clearly in Genesis chapter 1 why God created us. Why are you here in this room with a heart pumping in your chest? Why are we human beings? What is the Bible's account for why God created us? The purpose of humanity. The first thing that, that, God, that God's word says in the book of Genesis, as far as the purpose of God creating us, is that God created us to bless. Us, bless us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blesses His creation of man and woman. He blessed them. Remember? He made the man and woman on the sixth day, and He blessed them. They are, in other words, God created us to be under his blessing, to be the object of his blessing. And what does that mean? It means that we're with him and that we know him and that we have a mutual love relationship with him. God with us. You see, God created us to be with us, to have a love relationship with him. So God makes us, in Genesis 1 verse 28, so that we would love and worship him. The second purpose that we see in verse 27 is that God made us to be like him, or we call this the imago dei, the image of God. God created us as in his image, it says. In other words, rocks are not in his image, trees or squirrels or hamsters. These are not in his image. We are in his image. It means that we can have a relationship with him because we're like him. We know the difference between good and evil. We can love and have relationship and communication with God, among other things, is what it means to be in the image of God. They're told in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue." You see, that is God's created purpose for us, to fill the earth, imitating, being an example to the rest of creation of who God is and what he's like. That's our created purpose, and friends, outside of that created purpose is misery, death, destruction, and insecurity. You see, friends, sin separated us from that created purpose, and we'll get to that in a moment, but that is basically the created purpose. In Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve sin, and Paul tells us in Romans that we sinned with them. Somehow, I don't get it, it's confusing, but somehow we're all culpable in that moment when Adam and Eve sinned against God. In Genesis chapter three, it says that sin separated them from their united fellowship with God. So now it's sort of like, who are we? Why are we here? Now I I once got my identity from God, now I'm cut off from him because I've sinned against him and now I'm treating everything else as if it's God. I'm trying to plug into those things because I'm desperate and nothing's working. Sex isn't working. Money isn't working. I just can't find it. I can't find the satisfaction. Why is that? Well, it's because you were created for him. You were created for God. To have a love relationship with him. Not his creation. See? So Genesis 3 happens, and God's created purpose for us goes haywire. It goes dysfunctional. But what follows is a promise. One One author named Walter Kaiser says that there are four mountaintop promises in the Bible. These promises really define why the Bible was even written at all. Some people call this promise theology. And the reason for it is because he says the whole point of the Bible, what is the Bible about? It's about a promise. And theologians disagree. Oh no, other things are what it's about, but we'll forget that for a moment. I think it's at least very important to recognize that he is right in identifying what is the heart promise for the sin that separated us from God. We see it in four dif- different places. You see it up there, Genesis 3. That should say Genesis 12, um, not Genesis 3. Okay, it's, it's Genesis chapters 12 through 22. So that's, that second mountain is wrong. Sorry, mountain. Um, And then the third is 2 Samuel chapter seven, and the fourth is Jeremiah chapter 31. I wanna talk to you, because why am I talking about this? You are sons of Abraham by faith. What's he talking about? He's talking about the promise fulfilled to Abraham on that second mountain, Genesis chapters 12 through 22. Okay? And this is what it says. I'm not gonna talk about all of these promises, just that one, that one mountain. Um, You can write those down, take a picture of the TV, look them up when you get home or something, okay? But this, and they're, they're all basically the same promise. They're just sort of like adding some, some different details to it, if you will, okay? <clears throat> this is what it says. This is what God says in this mountaintop promise in Genesis chapter 12. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. There it is again. You see, I will bless you. What did God do to Adam and Eve after he created it? And he blessed them. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. You see, because when man sinned, they entered into God's curse, not his blessing. But now Abraham is under the blessing again. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, underline in you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. We got to follow this. Because what he's saying here, we know this from other passages of scripture, that not just in Abraham means that in his seed, that is in Christ, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7 says this. I didn't read this part, but it says, through your offspring, your seed, I will again bless. You know what we're going to get to in just a little while, probably next week? Galatians chapter three, verses 16 and 17 says this. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Jesus. So Paul is interpreting Genesis as fulfilled in Christ. Does that make sense? I will bless the world through your seed, Abraham. And Paul says that seed is Jesus. That offspring is Christ. That promise is repeated throughout the whole Bible. That's what Genesis 3.15 is about, 2 Samuel 7, Jeremiah chapter 31. It's all about that. What we lost through sin, the curse that came to us because of sin, is fixed by Christ. And we get the blessedness of his presence again. The kingdom the kingdom of God, which we lost, that united relationship with him, which we need, which is our created purpose, which was cut off from us because of sin, is given back to us at the death and resurrection of Jesus. So enter into your created purpose again. Enter into your, your true and real joy and pleasure. Come and get it. It's yours. It's there. Because scripture says we are children of Abraham by faith. See, you see what he's saying now? Children of Abraham. In other words, the same faith that Abraham had when God said, I will send you a deliverer, a savior, through your elderly wife. And when he said yes to it, that is a signal to us that we need to say yes to it too. That's how he becomes our father. That's how we are children of Abraham. So to be a child of Abraham means very simply this, that we are right with God again, that we are objects of his blessing again. His word is in our heart, that's Jeremiah 31, and we are in his home forever again, Jeremiah 31. We are like him again, in his home again, one united with him again. All of our sin separated us from us so that we are pure and holy like we were meant to be created in his image. See? We are children of Abraham, not by physical descent, not because we've been circumcised like the law of Moses says, or any works of the law, or, become, or because you come to this church. You are, you are children of Abraham. You are united with God once again by faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Now what does this mean to have faith? have the faith of Abraham. It means that we believe God when he says that Jesus is the gospel promise fulfilled. In other words, we believe that Jesus Christ is the seed savior of Abraham. He's the one that's going to restore me to blessing with God and not, and I can't do it myself. I can't win it back or earn it. So Abraham wasn't just believing that God would provide him with food or water or even a child. Because verse 8 reads that it was announced, the gospel was announced in advance to Abraham. So he knew very well that the promise wasn't just that he would have lots of children and be a great nation, but that a savior would come for him. You see? He believed not just in God, but he believed God. You see the difference? Being a Christian doesn't just mean that we have this logical agreement with, yeah, there's a God out there. It's, it's, we're trusting in him. Right? That's faith. We're believing in him for our union with him, for our salvation, which we find in Christ. To have faith is to believe in God's performance and not our own. That's what it means. We said this before, but part of the promise made to Abraham meant that his elderly wife would become pregnant who was barren all throughout her youth. How would she suddenly become pregnant? She wouldn't be able to outside of a miracle. It depended wholly on God. And friends, if any of us are ever made to be right with God again, it will depend wholly on God and his grace. He's got to do it. And that's the image of the cross that we see. We'll get to that right now. This is the blessing of Abraham in verses 9 and 10. brings blessing. Works bring curse. This is the message that we, we saw in our scripture text. So those who rely on faith are blessed. They're, giving the, they're given the blessing of innocent Adam and Eve again. The presence of God is with them. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. But, verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, cursed, is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, if we think that we can save ourselves by being good, by following you know, the, the moral code of the Old Testament, what Paul is saying is, you can't just do one of the things it says. you got to do all of it. You can't just obey the circumcision law or the feast law. you got to follow it all. And, oh, and by the way, you know what is in the law of uh, the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Which uh, which of us could ever say that we've done any of this completely and fully? What Paul is arguing here is that the, the law proves that we can't save ourselves. God is so holy and so good and we're so unlike him, that's the curse that we've fallen under that we can't dig ourselves out of this grave. We've got to be rescued or we won't be. You see? The curse can be removed and we can be pronounced blessed again because in verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God by faith. Scripture foresaw in verse 8 in Galatians chapter 3. What's it talking about? It's talking about those four mountaintops. That's what Paul is referring to. There's, there was promises made scripture foresaw through abraham that god would justify by faith not by works the bible's promise is that we can return to the blessed union that was lost in eden and be delivered from the curse of all of us who are have law-breaking hearts and have idol worshiping hearts all of these things that ravage our heart and world and this through jesus christ and the reason for it is because of verse 13 Watch this. This is beautiful. You guys awake? Come on, wake up. Here we go. We're just, it's just like I'm just starting right now, okay? So pretend the past 20 minutes didn't even happen. <laughs> Scripture foresaw, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a pole. What the heck is going on here? What does this mean? He becomes a curse, which was displayed for us. His proof is, oh, by the way, because he hung on a tree. And we might think, so what? This is what this means. For the ancient Near East, the, they very much believed in the afterlife. They would bury pharaohs in, in, in pyramids and lock the doors with all their treasure because they had this idea that they would enter into the, the next life with all of these virgins and gold, Right? So they would mummify these pharaohs, preserve their body so that they could go into the next life. But what would happen if you were a criminal? You were, you were just a class A jerk, right? You, kid, you killed lots of people. You know what they would do? They wouldn't preserve your body in a tomb, in a nice tomb. What they would do is they would hang you on a tree. And this was the symbol. You'd hang on a tree, you'd die there. And this is gross, but the birds would, would peck away your flesh. In other words, the idea is there's no afterlife for you. There's no blessing to come. So the Bible picks up on this analogy and says that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's saying that Jesus Christ takes the curse. If, if our sin separates us from God forever, Jesus Christ hangs on a pole, takes that curse for us. Do you remember in Scripture, you remember wicked Absalom, the son of David? How did he die? He was under God's curse. He hung from a tree by his neck, by his hair. You see? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He became the death curse. The day, Adam and Eve were told, the day you eat this, you will surely die. That's the curse. We are are all under that curse. You and I and this entire planet is under that curse and it has been for all of its existence. It's under a death curse. And friends, can I just just ask you to open your eyes and look around? Is that not true? Our our world is broken, it's messed up, it's under a death curse. And if if you were truly honest with yourself and looked in your heart, you'd say the same, that you're under that same death curse. The Old Testament law follows what is called eye for an eye. Have you heard of this? Eye for an eye. In Latin, it's called lex talionis. So in other words, if I steal 10 bucks from you, then I owe you 10 bucks. It's kind of like fair justice, right? And there, there were times throughout human history where it wasn't fair. You know, I, I take a piece of bread and, you know, I'm hung. You know, that's, not, that's not equal scales, See, so what the Old Testament law is saying, it's equal. You know, you steal 10 bucks, you give back 10 bucks. You, how about if you kill a person? Well then, I know people don't like this in our world, but you would be executed, right? Well, what about if you kill 10? Ah, what do you do then? Because you only have one life to give back. How do you show, what's equal justice in that? If I kill 10 or 100 or 1,000 people, you can't kill me a thousand times, right? If you kill a thousand people, I, I can't be killed a, the, the, a thousand times. That's why they, they have this image of the tree. The curse of the tree pictured a body decaying, being eaten by, by birds, as opposed to being embalmed and preserved. One pictured that that person blessed being embalmed as this is the blessing of the next life, and the other being cursed in the next life. You see, that's the grave, that's the death curse, and friends, this is bad news for us. Don't miss this. It means that our sin is so heinous that we don't have enough stuff to give back to pay for it. See, that eye for an eye principle if Jesus had to take die on a cross as like and take the curse for us, it means that we don't have enough resources to give back to God for what we've done. The only justice is is that we die and are separated from him forever for sin, or his son Jesus Christ takes the curse for us. You see, we can't pay our sin here with any of the stuff of our works. Our sin is too heinous. The only equal payment for it is hell or Christ. Christ. If he dies for us, justice is satisfied. The scales are even again. And Jesus did indeed do this. He took the very curse for us. He experienced divine rejection and justice for what we had done had been served. And now we're free. Now you're free from the curse of sin. And now you can simply believe and trust in the work of Christ. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be better. You have to believe. And you know what happens when you believe? You get better. You start healing. You start loving the Lord again. He redeemed us in verse 14 in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to all through Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. By faith. We might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let me close right here. Friends, that's why you're here on this earth. To by faith receive the promise of the Spirit. To be reconciled with your God. To know why on earth you are here. To know your purpose. To know his love for his kingdom. That is his rule, his presence, his authority, his kindness to be wrapped around you again. And if you by faith know this, friends, that's why we live on mission. Because by faith, his spirit comes and by faith he works miracles. It's why we can't have COVID fatigue, friends. It's why we, we can't be discouraged by setbacks. There's too much at stake, there's too much on the line. Abraham believed God and consequently The Spirit came and did miracles, and that's what we got to do. We are given the same orders. We are children of Abraham. We need to believe God, and he will show up in his Spirit and do miracles. He'll shine light on people that have been trying to prove themselves and save themselves and figure out the purpose to their life by God's created thing rather than by knowing their Creator. You see, the miracle is that God will use us to illuminate the eyes and hearts and minds of other people to know that same Christ, to know that same Spirit. Friends, will you do that with me? If you don't know Jesus yet, friends, you remain under a curse, the curse of sin. You're separated from God. But the Father's love when he sent the Son, Jesus Christ, was displayed when he took a curse for you. And you simply trust in him and he will transform you and give you a new life. I hope that you'll come to him by faith in Jesus Christ this morning if you're here or online. And church, if you know Jesus already, it's time to believe. It's time to stand up again. It's time to run again. We have a job to do and that job is to believe God. It's to walk by faith and not by sight, to lean on his power and his miraculous love to watch what he can do for us in our community, in our families. Oh, believe again, friend. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for these people gathered. Oh, God, we pray, Lord, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. So many people saw little, little, little David trying to fight big Goliath. It matters not how many people are in this room or how small we are. What matters is our big God. So God, I pray, Lord, give your people faith to walk by faith and not by sight. And God, I pray, Lord, that the next year we would see miracles. Miracles of your power and love. To see people come empty-handed, trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation. I pray, God, that if anyone is listening right now and does not know you yet, that you would come right now to faith in Jesus. He loves you, friend. You're separated from him through sin. Death is that curse. Jesus took it for you so that you could be reconciled to the good God that loved you and made you and to be like him. Come, trust in the death and resurrection of Christ for you. He became a curse so that you could receive the blessing. If that's you, would you share it with me? Someone that you came with, someone that you know that has faith in Christ so we can celebrate you. God, I pray for the rest of us, give us faith this year. Help us to walk by it, not by sight. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen.